All right. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you here this morning. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, thanks for responding, uh, giving me some love up here. Uh, well, hopefully uh, you were able to join us last week. Uh, last weekend, we had a wonderful time uh, remembering and celebrating Jesus' death and his victorious resurrection and all of that means for us as followers of Christ. And so hopefully you were able to connect with the Lord uh, through that time. Uh, but as Alex just said, today uh, we're going to pick things back up in our series called Welcoming the Gifts of the Spirit. Now, if you're new with us, uh, we've been as a church here now for the last several months talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And in some ways, all of the messages previous to this have served as a kind of foundation for where we want to go next in the series, which is actually uh, breaking things down and talking about the gifts themselves. And so to start off here this morning, I, I just want you to imagine for a moment that it's Christmas time. It's the Christmas season. And here you are, you're carefully picking out and choosing gifts for those that you love, or, or perhaps even for some of you creative types, you're physically making a gift for someone, like a quill or a piece of art or something like that. And as you shop and as you pick out the gifts or as you make them with your hands, your heart just begins to get flooded with joy and excitement as you think about giving these gifts to your loved ones. And so some days go by and it's perhaps Christmas Eve and so you sit down and you begin to carefully wrap each gift. Maybe you tie uh, some ribbon around them or perhaps even put on a fancy bow and you write the names of your loved ones on the gifts and then you put them under the tree. And so the next day, it's Christmas morning, you wake up super excited. You can't wait for your loved ones to open the gifts you've given them and to see what it is that you've made with your hands or that you've chosen or picked out for them. And yet as your house begins to stir and as people begin to wake up, you discover that by and large, your loved ones are disinterested or indifferent about coming to the tree to open their gifts. Perhaps some are still sleeping and you go into their room and you try to wake them up and they kind of push you away and say, you know what, leave me alone. I, I don't want to open gifts right now. I just want to sleep. Or, or maybe others in your house are awake, but instead of stopping by their tree, they, they bypass the tree. They go straight to the coffee pot, grab their coffee, grab their phone and go into another room and just begin to scroll this or that social media site. Or maybe some do come to the tree and you hand them their gifts, but instead of being excited about them and opening them, they instead just take them back to their room and slide them under the bed, just waiting for the dust to collect. I mean, can you imagine having a Christmas like that? That would be terrible. Can you imagine your loved ones being that distracted or that indifferent or that apathetic towards the gifts you long to give them? Well, I don't know for sure, but my guess is, is that for some of us in this room, that has been at times, maybe not always, but at times that has been our posture and our heart as it relates to spiritual gifts. Now maybe for some of us, uh, what that means is that we've never taken the time to understand and learn about the gifts, or, or maybe we've never even tried to seek uh, God in order to understand and know what gifts he has already given us or, or what gifts he desires to give us even now. Or maybe for some of you, you're aware of the gifts the Lord has given you, but instead of opening them and enjoying them, you've instead hid them under your bed. Or, or maybe like the person on their phone, you're just distracted right now by other things. Now, the reasons for all of this are perhaps varied, and some of the reasons are no doubt complicated. For example, maybe some of you have seen the gifts abused or, or maybe you've been uh, made uh, to feel less than along the way that, that, that like the gifts the Lord has given you are not as important, they're not as necessary. But even still, the outcome is the same. For many in the church today, there's a general sense of indifference or ignorance around the gifts. And yet when you contrast that to what the New Testament says, you see that God's heart and God's desire around his gifts and around how you and I should approach them is very different. In fact, in our passage today, we're going to see that God's heart, that God's longing is that we be both informed and desirous of the gifts he's given his church. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, if you didn't bring one this morning, that's okay. You can use one of our chair Bibles in front of you. Uh, the passage is found on page 959 in those Bibles. 
And once you find it, go ahead and stand as I read today's passage. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I'm skipping down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that as Paul wrote to Timothy, that uh, it is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so, Lord, we invite you to teach us, to instruct us, to rebuke us today through your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear and hearts to know you and hearts to obey you. And so we ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and take a seat. Okay, so our outline today to walk us through some of this passage here is going to be three basic questions around the gifts of the Spirit. The first question is, what are spiritual gifts? Secondly, we'll talk about why are they given to us. And then thirdly, we want to look at what should our posture and our attitude be towards them. And so starting with the first question here, what exactly are spiritual gifts? Well, when we look at our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, there are quite a few things that we learn about them. First off, when we look at uh, verse 1, we see Paul say this, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now the word translated spiritual gifts here is the Greek word pneumatikos, which uh, literally translates as spirituals. Another way to say it would be the, the things of the Spirit or the things pertaining to the Spirit. However, though, the Greek word for gifts is not used here in verse 1. But the reason that most English translations fill in the word gifts is because it is used over and over again throughout the rest of the chapter. And so because of that, it's clear based on the context of, of what Paul is saying here is he's referring to the gifts that are supplied by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word for gifts is charisma, or the plural form is charismata. And both of those refer to a free or a graciously bestowed gift. And so from just those two uh, words and those two insights, we're already beginning to see some really important things about the gifts. First, we see that Paul, in describing them as something that comes directly from God, from his spirit, that these things uh, that he's talking about are free gifts, or again, gifts of grace. And so what that means is that because they come to us from God, they are inherently good and right, and that they're meant to bring about blessing and grace. It also means that God is the source of them, and therefore they are not something that we inherently possess. No, they are given to us by God. 
as well the fact that they are free gifts or, or, or gifts of grace, what that means is that they are not merits or rewards for being good. In other words, we don't earn them. We simply receive them. And the reason that's important for you and I to understand is because it helps make sense of what we see here in 1 Corinthians. Namely, if you have studied this passage or these couple chapters, what you'll find out is that uh, we have a group of spiritually immature people who nevertheless operate in some pretty incredible gifts. You see, again, if you think that spiritual gifts are rewards or merits for maturity or righteous behavior, then you will be super confused as to why and how an immature believer can be effective in the gifts. You see, here's the thing. Gifts are distinct and different from character and maturity. And certainly coming to understand that reality has been a painful lesson uh, that we've had to learn the last several years in the American church. From one gifted teacher or leader to the next, we've seen scandal after scandal rock the American church. And I think that for most of us, it's been very confusing and disorienting. Because we think on the one hand, how, how can someone be so gifted and so used by God, and yet on the other hand, have so much significant sin and hypocrisy in their life? Well, again, I think the way that you and I make sense of that is by understanding that these are gifts. They are not rewards or merits. Which is why, as a church, when we raise up new leaders, we spend the majority of our training and our evaluation on that person's character rather than their gifting. Now, don't get me wrong. Gifting is important. It is necessary. But it's not nearly as important as godly character. Now, if we keep reading here in 1 Corinthians, we learn a few other things about the gifts. Look again at verse 4. Now, there are a varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now we see here, Paul, uh, before he even lists some of the gifts themselves, he's wanting to make a point that there is a variety or a diversity of gifts. In other words, there's, there's lots of different activities and things that the Spirit does in and through individual believers. However, though, Paul's point is that the source is still the same. It may look differently, but the source is still the same. In fact, he goes on to, to give us just a little bit of an insight into the Trinity. I mean, Paul never misses an opportunity to include all three members of the Godhead. Because again, he says here, the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. But that's not all that Paul tells, uh, tells us in this passage. Look again at verse 7. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, so what we see here in this section is that Paul describes in a little more detail what these gifts are and who they're for. And we see in verse 7 that these gifts are actually a manifestation of the Spirit himself working in and through us. Meaning that when you and I are operating in a gift of the Spirit, we are actually manifesting, or another way to think about it would be, we are displaying who the Spirit is and what the Spirit is like to those around us. Um, Sam Storms puts it like this. He writes, spiritual gifts are nothing less than the Holy Spirit himself in us, enlightening our minds with revelatory truths, empowering our wills, and imparting to us the strength and wisdom to accomplish his gracious purposes in the church. Spiritual gifts must never be thought of as some thing granted to us by a distant and uninvolved deity. They are instead the Holy Spirit on display in and through human words and works to build up the body of Christ. Now, another important aspect of the gifts that we see here in verses 7 to 11 is that each believer has gifts imparted to them from the Spirit. For example, verse 7 says, For to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. 
Verse 11 says, All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions, or some translations say, distributes to each one individually as he wills. In other words, what we learn here is that in the words of John Wimber, everyone gets to play. I love that. Everyone gets to play. This isn't just for the super saints. No, we all get to play in the kingdom. You see, in our current cultural moment, between watching superhero movies to watching superhuman athletes, you and I are used to passively watching others do the stuff. And yet, according to this passage and others, when it comes to the church, every one of us is needed. And every one of us gets to play. And because that's true, when it comes to the church and to ministry, there's no room for sitting on the sidelines passively watching others do it. No, we are all to be about the work of ministry. This is what has been historically called and referred to as the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. And this is something that the Protestant reformers insisted on, something that they fought for. And in doing so, they fought against this idea that there is a division between clergy and laity. And the reason they fought against that idea and against that notion is because it's a deeply unbiblical idea. Again, we see here in 1 Corinthians 12 that each one has been given gifts by the Spirit. Later on in the chapter, Paul uses the metaphor of a body to talk about the church. And in doing so, he argues there that all parts of the body are necessary and essential and that we can't fulfill the mission of the church without all the parts of the body working together. Even the nature of the Great Commission makes it clear that all of us, regardless of titles or roles, are called to make disciples of all nations. Now, it does seem to be true based on what Paul says in Ephesians 4, that the different roles or the different offices inside the church do have slightly different responsibilities. For example, in Ephesians 4.11, Paul writes this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so with that, do some of the offices in the church have a unique responsibility? Well, yes, according to Paul, they do. Well, what is that responsibility that they have? Well, it's clear. Their responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see, again, I think sometimes in the American church, we've gotten confused on this, and, and we've instead read this passage like this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and shepherd and teachers to do the work of ministry while the rest of us sit back and watch the paid professionals do it. That's not what it says. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. And so maybe for some of you, you didn't realize this, and this is really exciting news. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I didn't realize we all get to play. Again, I thought it was just some of us. I thought it was the special ones. But perhaps for others of you, this is not great news. Maybe you're thinking, oh, shoot, does this actually mean I have to get involved and, and do something and figure out what my gifts are? I can't just sit back and eat popcorn and, and enjoy the show? Well, yes, sorry to break it to you. It does mean that you and I have been given gifts. We've been given a calling, and we have been given a commission collectively, which the Lord expects all of us to be faithful to. Now, in terms of some other aspects of the gifts that we need to work out, one question that I think often comes up during this is how many gifts are there? Well, in our first Corinthians passage, we see Paul list about nine or so in verses eight through 10. He lists some additional ones in verses 28 and 29. I just read to us uh, Ephesians 4, where Paul mentions a couple offices, which are also tied to certain gifts. As well, we know that Paul has a different list of gifts in Romans 12. And not only that, but actually Peter himself lists off a few in 1 Peter 4. And so in light of that, how many gifts are there? Well, if you would just simply add up all the ones that are listed in those passages, you would arrive at about 19 to 20 different gifts. However, though, most commentators argue that, that these lists of gifts aren't meant to be exhaustive. But rather, they're listed as common examples, or, or sometimes they're listed because they're specifically tied to the needs or issues going on in that church in which the letter was written to. 
In fact, Wayne Grudem, in his well-known systematic theology book, he points out that there very well could be additional gifts that are not explicitly mentioned in the so-called gift list passages. And with that, he goes on to suggest a couple things, things like intercessory prayer or casting out demons or musical or artistic gifts. Now, we don't know for sure, but I, I tend to think that Grudem is right on that, that there very well could be additional gifts of the Spirit that are not explicitly mentioned in these lists. Now, another couple uh, questions that come up when talking about the gifts are things like, well, how many do each of us get? Or, or are the gifts permanent or, or not? In other words, does the Spirit give each of us gifts and then those gifts are then vested or permanent inside the believer? Or are the gifts, uh, are, are the gifts more circumstantial and situational and are therefore given to you in the moment as you need them? Now, for most of you, I'm assuming you've, you've grown up probably with what has been the more traditionally taught view, which is that each believer is given one or two, or maybe if you're really lucky, three gifts. And typically, it's taught that those gifts come to you the moment you're born again. But perhaps maybe it takes you a while to discover them. But, but once you do, they're then vested in you, and you can pretty much use them at will. And so maybe for one person it's teaching or another person it's administration or serving or a gift of mercy. But, but again, the idea is that we get a couple of these gifts and then we are to use them as much as we can. Now on the complete opposite end of that view is the view that gifts are not vested but rather are situational. And in that view, it's argued that as we step out into different ministry opportunities... And as we begin to take risk for the kingdom, that the Spirit will give us the gifts or the empowerments that we need for the moment to accomplish His will. Now, I'm assuming for most of you, you've never heard this view before. And personally, I hadn't either until a few years ago. And the, the main kind of theologian or the main Christian leader who argued for this position was John Wimber. You see, Wimber argued that a believer does not possess gifts. A believer receives gifts from God to be used at special times for special occasions in order to fulfill the ministry required. His favorite metaphor to explain this and to contrast it then with the traditional view was that of a plumber. In one of his uh, teachings, he went on to say this, you know, many people today believe that spiritual gifts are like plumbing tools. And we've been called to minister in a given area, in this case, plumbing. And when we go to minister, we take our tools with us, and this is the traditional view of the gifts, which argues that they are constituted or vested in us and therefore are our permanent possession. And as we exercise them, we get better and better at using them, and we use them in the areas that God has defined for us. Now, in contrast to that, Wimber argued for what he called a situational view of the gifts. And in terms of the metaphor, he went on to say this. He said, you know, I still believe we can be called into the area of plumbing, and by that, he meant we could be called into a specific area of ministry in the church. However, though, Wimber argued that, uh, that we go to the plumbing job, if you will, with an empty toolkit. And when we get there, God gives us the tools that we need. And so we go to the job out of obedience, perfectly aware that we don't have a tool to save our name. And we have no ability to do this unless God shows up and helps us. And so we arrive and we look the situation over and then we begin to pray desperately, God, help me. And then we look down into our toolkit and we find a tool supplied by the Holy Spirit and we use it. We put it back in our toolkit and it disappears because the tool was not permanent, but the tool was situational. Now, I'm not sure if I lost you on that whole plumbing analogy. Maybe I did. And you're like, I, I don't know. You just made me think of that leaky faucet in my basement that I've tried to forget about. I'm sorry for that, but... But hopefully you were able to follow along a little bit because I think it's an interesting point. You see, Wimber, if you uh, uh, listen to this set of teaching series, he did have an understanding that God may use someone in a certain gifting more often than others. And that that could then lead to a, a specific ministry focus or, or even a role or an office in the church. However, though, even still, he argued that the Spirit could give a believer any gift they needed if the situation called for it. Now, maybe for some of you, that sounds ridiculous, or maybe that sounds like the opposite of what Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 12. But one thing that Wimber points out in relation to 1 Corinthians 12 is that all throughout this section, both 
in chapter 11 and in chapter 14, Paul explicitly mentions that the context for all that he's saying here is when the church is gathered. He's thinking about the public uh, assembly, the corporate worship time. And so with that, Wimber argues that that makes a difference in how we understand what Paul is saying here. Now, personally, I'm not totally sure I buy into Wimber's system in terms of gifts being only situational, but I do think he's right in challenging the traditional view. In fact, there are a number of biblical scholars who now argue for a kind of middle ground position, which says that God gives his people some gifts which are vested and permanent and can be used consistently and perhaps even at will. But he can also give other gifts which are situational in order to meet the need of the moment. And therefore, in that sense, they cannot be used consistently or at will. In fact, many of these scholars even point out, and this was kind of Wimber's point, that the very nature of some of the gifts make it impossible to use them at will. For example, things like prophecy or healing or even something like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Now, after studying it out this week and looking at the different views and and even just thinking about my own life and my own experience with the gifts, I I would say for myself, I, I, I am currently persuaded by this middle ground position. For example, I can think of certain gifts that I believe the Lord has given me, which appear, based on what I can tell, uh, reside in me. I've operated in them for many years. There's a degree to which I can use them consistently. However, though, I I can also think of moments and times when I've been in a a particular situation. For example, something like a prayer time or a, a counseling situation or even an evangelism opportunity where it felt more like that empty toolkit scenario. And in desperation, I've realized, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. I need empowerment here. And I just begin to pray. And as I've done, there have been times where the Lord has showed up and has given me the gift or the tool that I need to meet the specific need. Another way to think about it would be to say that each believer has primary gifts, which they seem to possess and operate in regularly. However, though, God can and God does long to give us situational or circumstantial gifts when the need calls for it and or when his sovereignty allows it. Now, again, that's just my opinion. That doesn't represent the entire elder team. It's just where I'm currently at in my understanding of this dynamic of spiritual gifts. I will say that this understanding has made me more willing to step out and to take a risk knowing that the Lord can gift and empower me in a situation. And so in that sense, I believe this understanding has had a positive impact on my life. Okay, so with that in mind, before we close out this first question here on what exactly are spiritual gifts, let's see if we can arrive at some sort of biblical definition as to what a gift is. Now, as you might guess, there have been a number of different definitions put forward by various theologians and pastors Um, For example, Wayne Grudem's definition of, uh, of, of a gift is this. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any, in any ministry of the church. Um, John Piper's definition is a little different. He writes, a spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively in word or deed for the strengthening of someone else's faith. Now, Sam Storms, who we'll have here with us this summer, uh, has written a lot on the topic of of spiritual gifts, and he certainly wins the award for the longest and most complicated definition. (laughs) He says this, A spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests his presence and imparts his power into and through individual believers to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity so that they might faithfully and effectively fulfill certain ministry tasks for the building up of the body of Christ. Maybe think about getting that one tattooed on your arm. That way you can, you know, memorize it here before he comes. Now, certainly I I agree with and I like aspects of all three of those. But I think the definition that I find most helpful is simply this. Spiritual gifts refer to the different workings and empowerments of God's spirit through believers so that they may minister to others some measure of God's grace. And so gifts from the spirit, they come to believers in order to impart grace to those who need it. Which brings us to the second question we want to look at this morning, and that is, why are they given? 
And we've already started to dip our toe into answering that, but let's go back to our 1 Corinthians passage. Look again at verse 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so according to Paul here, one of the purposes of gifts is for the common good. Or as one translation says, for the benefit of all. Now that broad definition or that broad purpose certainly fits in with some other things that Paul says about the gifts later on in chapter 14. Now in that chapter, he's primarily focusing on two gifts in particular. One, the gift of tongues, but also the gift of prophecy. But even still, some of the things he says about them, I think, carry over to the other gifts as well. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14.3, Paul says this, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In the next verse, verse 4, he says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Skipping down to verse 26, he writes, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Peter, in his discussion on the gifts, he says in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so again, what we see here is that one of the reasons why God gives his church spiritual gifts is to bless and to benefit his people. That they will be built up. They'll be encouraged. They'll be strengthened. And so with that, when you think about all uh, of that, one of the things that means is that if you are not consistently allowing the Spirit to use you and to use the gifts He has given you, then you are inadvertently hurting yourself. And not only that, you're hurting others. You're hurting the church. You see, you're hurting yourself because even though the gifts are others-oriented, there's no doubt that you and I are blessed when we use them. In fact, there may be few things in life that are more of a blessing than that. I think this is what some people mean when they talk about finding your sweet spot in ministry. And if you have any idea of what I'm talking about or if you've experienced it for yourself, it's kind of like that Eric Liddell quote in Chariots of Fire when he said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. I mean, I don't know why, but that quote kind of reminds me of my golden retriever. (laughs) You know, golden retrievers, they make great family dogs. They're kind, they're gentle with kids, they're very submissive and obedient. But even with that, you know, my dog loves laying around on the couch and and playing with the kids and all of that. But when he comes most alive is when he's either carrying something in his mouth that he thinks he's supposed to bring you, or when he is in water. Look at that goofy face. Look how happy that dog is. And why does he come alive in those settings? Well, because that is exactly what he was bred to do. And in the same way, God has called you and he has wired you and gifted you to do certain things for his kingdom. And so again, because of that, the point I'm trying to make here is that when you are not operating consistently in your gifts, you are hurting yourself. You're missing out on the joy and satisfaction and fulfillment that the Lord longs to give you. But not only that, perhaps more important, when you're not using your gifts, you're hurting others. You see, earlier I talked about how Paul in the middle of chapter 12 gives us this imagery and this illustration of what the church is like. And in doing so, he compares it to a body. And he points out how valuable and how essential each part of the body is and how because of that, we we can't point to one particular part of the body or one particular gift and say, look, we don't need you. No, again, Paul is saying here, all are essential, all parts are necessary. And so again, when you and I don't use our gifts, we hurt not only ourselves, but we hurt the body of Christ. Like putting a puzzle together without all the pieces. Or like trying to play a game of football with less than 11 men on the field. It's not right. It's incomplete. The overall collective suffers as a result. And not only that, but I think another important reason why the gifts are given is so that collectively, as the church, you and I would continue Jesus' ministry here on the earth as his body. You see, I find it interesting. In Acts 1, Luke starts out that book by saying, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. See, what I think Luke is getting at is by putting it this way, is that the Gospels were just the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They weren't the end. 
You see, later on in Acts uh, 1, Luke tells us that Christ uh, ascended back to heaven, and he's at the right hand of the Father. But then right after that in Acts 2, we read about the coming of the Spirit, which birthed and empowered the church. And so now what we see when we put all of this together is that the church functions here on earth as the body of Christ. And in doing so, we are to continue Jesus' mission and ministry, empowered by the Spirit, using the gifts he's given us. And because of that, there's no doubt that another main purpose behind the gifts is simply to bring people to Jesus. I mean, certainly you could argue that the main purpose of the gift of evangelism is to bring people to Jesus. We also see Paul allude to the gift of prophecy being used in order to draw unbelievers into the church. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, he says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. As well, I think you could argue that gifts of healing or gifts of mercy could also have an evangelistic effect on unbelievers leading them to Jesus. And so again, another reason why the gifts are given is in order to continue the ministry and mission of Jesus. Now the last reason I'll give you as to why I think the gifts are given is the most important one. And that is to glorify God. Again, if we go back to that 1 Peter 4 passage, Peter says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, I don't fully understand it, but God really seems to like to partner with his creation. Whether it's with angels or whether it's with humans, he really does seem to enjoy partnership and collaboration. And from my limited little pea brain mind, it would seem that he would get more glory by just doing everything himself. And yet it appears, according to the scriptures, that actually God gets more glory somehow by partnering with us and using us to accomplish his purposes. Now, God doesn't need us, but he enjoys partnering with us. It brings him glory. It brings him pleasure. And so if we want to be about the business of glorifying God in and through our lives, which hopefully all of you want to do that, then according to this passage, one of the ways we do this is by being good stewards of the gifts the Lord has given us. And that we use those gifts to, to love others well, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. And that as we use them to love others, God is glorified. Which as the Westminster Confession rightly points out is the whole reason you and I were created. And so this is another really important reason why the gifts are given. Let's go to that last question though in our outline, which is this. What should our posture and our attitude be towards the gifts? Well, if we just dip back into this 1 Corinthians passage, we see in verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some English translations say, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so because of that, I would argue that one of the postures uh, and attitudes that we should have towards the gift is one of being informed. Where we know and understand what the gifts are and how to use them biblically. That we don't just push them off to the side and say, well, you know, there's been a lot of controversy around the gifts. And so let's just not focus on them. Let's focus our attention on other things. No, I don't think that we should do that. I think to do that would be a mistake. I think, in fact, it would be to be disobedient. I agree with what Sam Storms wrote when he said this. There are some people who say this is such a secondary issue. We ought to just push it off to the periphery. It's not that important. However, if spiritual gifts are in fact the very person of God the Spirit himself manifesting his presence and power through us, then to resist spiritual gifts is to resist God. I know that for myself that was the case for many years. Not only was I uninformed about the gifts, but I was actually even hostile towards certain ones and, and towards those in the, the, the body of Christ who practiced them. In fact, soon after coming to Christ, uh, Pastor Lashivo and I spent a lot of time hanging out together. 
And at that time, he was attending a different church that was more open to the gifts than I was. And I remember us during that season having lots of conversations where I was essentially rebuking him and rebuking his church and telling him how I thought they were wrong and how weird they were and probably even called them heretics. I would point out different immaturities or things that I could pick on to try to discount or disprove them. I would all the time tell him how I would just like try to persuade him that, that he needed to leave his current church and, come, and to come join me where I was going. Now, eventually, he and Jacqueline did leave that church, and they did start coming to New Song and then here to Limworth, but they left for other reasons. It wasn't because of me and my pestering him. But even still, I think it's ironic that here I am now, all these years later, talking about all the gifts of the Spirit and even encouraging this church to actively pursue them, which what that means is, as Chris talked about a couple weeks ago, I've had to eat a big old piece of humble pie. And I've had to even come back to Nick over the years and, and to apologize and to tell him that I was wrong and to ask for his forgiveness. And so to just get practical for a moment here, let me try to, try to flesh out what I think it looks like for you and I to get informed on the gifts. In other words, what are some practical things that we can do to further our understanding? Well, I think the first place and the best place to start is by very simply studying the scriptures for yourself. Whether it's looking at Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospels or, or whether it's looking at the early church in the book of Acts or even looking at the passages in the epistles which talk about this. Again, this is a topic that the scriptures over and over address either through instruction or through demonstration. And so again, in order to get informed, I would encourage you to study those passages and to seek to understand them. I think some other things that you could do to be informed is just continue to come to the series and to pay attention. I think you could also do some extra reading on your own. I mean, there's lots and lots of really good books out uh, on the gifts of the Spirit that are balanced and that are biblical and that discuss the gifts in a healthy way. Yes, there's some goofy stuff out there. If you have a question about is this goofy or not, come talk to one of us pastors and we'll help direct you in the right direction. For example, let me just share a couple books that I've found helpful. Sam Storms has a book called Understanding Spiritual Gifts, which is a, a thicker book that walks through and, and defines the gifts as well. A man named Jack Deere has a book called Surprised by the Spirit, or the updated version is called Why I'm Still Surprised by the Spirit. As well, I mentioned earlier that Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology has a really large section where he talks about the gifts and explains them very thoroughly and theologically. Um, there's a British theologian that I really like named Andrew Wilson, who has also written lots of articles on the gifts. And so you could just Google Andrew Wilson spiritual gifts, and I'm sure you'll find some good and interesting articles or videos on that. I think another practical thing that you could do is simply talk to some believers who you know and respect about their experience with the gifts of the Spirit. I know that for me, that's always been helpful to have people in my life that I know personally and that I respect and that I can ask clarifying questions to. And so those would be just a few practical things that we could do in order to cultivate a, a posture and an attitude of being informed on the gifts. I think related to that, another attitude or posture that we see here in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in chapter 14 is that Paul commands us to earnestly or eagerly desire Spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Similar to that, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so again, twice here in just this short section, we see Paul encourage and even, I think, command the Corinthians to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. You see, earlier I mentioned that the traditional view, uh, in that view, a lot of people have taught and have believed that when you come to Christ, you get all the gifts you're ever going to get. And yet when I read Paul's words here to a bunch of people who are already Christians, who are already operating in the gifts, it sure seems like he's telling them that there are more gifts that they can have. Right? Like it wouldn't make sense to tell someone to eagerly or earnestly desire spiritual gifts if they couldn't receive additional ones later on in their Christian life. In fact, I know for myself that, that, is, that, it, that I have, uh, it appears that I have received additional gifts uh, later on in my walk with the Lord years after coming to Christ. Um, some additional verses, verses which I think highlight Paul's attitude and posture towards the gifts are verses like 1 Corinthians 14, 39. 
He says, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. As well, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells the church, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So again, based on all of this, I would argue that what we see here in the scriptures is that Paul is very much pro-spiritual gifts. In fact, even in a context where they are being mishandled and even abused, Paul tells them to desire them and to seek them. And again, I think probably for many of us, that sounds confusing. That sounds like Paul is giving terrible advice. But again, quoting Sam Storms, I like what he says on this point. He says, you know, some will argue that if people abuse spiritual gifts, then we should cease using them. However, when you look at the book of 1 Corinthians here, you have a very immature church who is abusing the gifts, and yet Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to earnestly desire more. We might expect Paul to say, slow down, take a break. Let's stop for a season until you can prove you can handle them. But no, instead he tells them to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so what does that show us? Well, it shows us that the solution to abuse is not prohibition, but correction. I think, I think Sam Storms is right on that, is right with that. I mean, I can, think of a lot of, I can think of a lot of really good gifts from the Lord that people abuse all the time that I don't think any of us want prohibited. For example, how many of you know that people can, can and do abuse food? Right? Now, who here thinks that we should do away with or prohibit food? Not me. Like, my stomach's already grumbling this morning. I'm like, I need to hurry up because I'm hungry. What about sex? Is sex a good gift, and is it something that people abuse and misuse? Hmm, let me think about that. Should we, all tell, should we tell married couples to stop having sex simply because other people abuse it? Well, I, I sure hope not, right? I'll, I'll go to bat for that one. Um, you see, really, when you study 1 Corinthians, you see that one of Paul's main goals is to help inform and correct the Corinthian church around the proper use of the gifts, particularly in the gathered church or in the public assembly. Yes, God is a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. Pastors and leaders do have a responsibility to govern the church well and to make sure that things are done in a healthy way to make sure that things are done in a way that build up the church. That's why I agree with what Jack Deere argues. He says, you know, Sunday, morning, Sunday mornings are for a mature expression of the gifts, right? It's not like, let's just throw anybody up here and see what they have to say. No, it, there's, a, there's a sense of protecting the, the overall body and, and, and only doing those things that build up the church. However, though, Jack Deere and others do suggest that smaller settings like a life group are a good place to, to practice the gifts in, in order to get started and to take some risk. I mean, I know that for myself, I spent years and years leading and teaching in a life group before I ever got to do those things in a more public setting. And I think that was good for me. I think you're all really glad that that happened and that they didn't just throw me up here at age 20. And so with this, maybe some of you are thinking, look, I don't even know if I have a gift. Like, I, I don't even know what it would look like to ask for one. I don't even know how to get started in all of this. Well, one thing I think you and I can do is by just starting to pay attention to our own desires. You see, I think often the Lord puts desires in us as a way to get us to pursue or to ask for certain gifts. I know that that's been true in my own life in the area of teaching. You see, when I first came to Christ at 19, uh, before that time, I, I couldn't stand reading. Like all through high school, I basically just, you know, skipped books or skimmed them or whatever I needed to do to get by. But then at 19, I come to Christ and all of a sudden I have this urge and this desire to devour like theological books, right? Like I bought Grudem's thousand page systematic theology and begin reading it. I even started listening to about three or four or five sermons a day. And I remember at the time thinking, man, I bet everyone does this, right? Like I was a part of Lemworth's college group and I'm like, man, we... Like I was, you know, I was listening to my eighth sermon of the morning and, uh, you know, and then I started talking to people and realized that other people aren't doing that. Like that's weird, right? But I think in hindsight, looking back, what I think the Lord was doing is he was stirring up this desire and this hunger in me to know the scriptures and to communicate what I was learning to others. And so again, I think it could be helpful to just pay attention to what you think about, what you daydream about, what you uh, just feel like, man, if I could just do this thing in ministry, if I could serve in this way, like, I, I would love that. Well, perhaps that's the Lord giving you a desire because there's a gift he wants to give you. 
I think another thing you could do is just simply ask those closest to you what they observe in your own life. In other words, ask those closest to you where they have seen you be effective in ministry, where they've seen you come alive. I think that too could be a good indication. I think another thing you could do is just open your eyes and look around you. What are the needs in front of you? What situations or what people or what needs need addressed? And and just begin to ask the Lord, Lord, gift me. Equip me and give me what I need in order to meet those needs. And as part of that, I would just encourage you to keep putting yourself in situations which require risk and which cause you to be desperate and dependent on the Spirit. And not only that, I think the last thing I'll add here is that if you want a gift, it's like as we go throughout this teaching series, you know, next week, Pastor Mike's going to teach on the gift of evangelism. As we begin to just roll through these gifts, if you just feel like, man, I really would like to do that. As you hear Mike share story after story of people he's leading to Christ, you might just feel like, you know what, I would love to be a part of that. Well, I think we can simply ask, right? God loves to answer our prayers. He loves to give good gifts to his children when they ask him. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 says, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things, or in Luke he says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so let's pray now and let's ask the Lord to do that. Let's ask him to pour out gifts on our church, on our city, so that the church of Jesus may be built up and that the kingdom will grow and expand and more importantly, that the name of Jesus will be glorified in and through us. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we we come before you. We thank you for your word. God, thank you that even as we declared this morning, you are a good father. It's who you are. It's it's the very nature of you to be generous. It's the very nature of you to, to, to be a gift giver. And Lord, I just pray for myself and for my friends. Lord, we, uh, we just look around the needs of our church. Lord, we look around the needs of our city, our nation. We think of all the unreached people groups around the world, Lord, and we say we need your gifts, Lord. We welcome them. Would you be pleased to pour out your gifts? Would you be pleased to help us to walk in them with power, aware of, of, of the Spirit and His desire to use us? God, would you give us a boldness and a courage to step out and to take risk for you? And Lord, we pray most importantly that you be glorified, you be magnified, that the name of Jesus Christ would be known and His fame would spread in this church, in this city, in this world. And so we pray this all now in Jesus' name.